25 years of doing makeup effects and dealing with those chemicals, I have no idea. <laughs> I'm still I'm still waiting for my doctor to tell me it's like, hey, there's there's this amazing thing that's growing inside your body. And I <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Sincast, presented by CinemaSins. All right, everybody, welcome to the Sincast. This is Chris Atkinson from CinemaSins, joined as always by the voice of CinemaSins, Jeremy Scott. Greetings. And from Music Video Sins, Barrett Share. Howdy. Today's a special day, guys. Yeah. It's a special day. We are we get our first interview, and it's uh it's a uh, uh, like a guy who's got two hundred IMDb credits to <laughs> yeah. his name. Um that's, the hell happened. That's amazing. Yeah, how did that happen? Why is he not pissed at us? We've done some of his movies before. Um but no, uh, we'll be talking to Aaron Sims later on in this uh in this cast. Yeah. And uh, that guy has been on some 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 movies, man. He's been on some <laughs> movies. Mm-hmm. Uh so can't wait to talk to him later on. Um but uh, to start off, we're gonna do our continuing best of the years we've been alive, and this year is nineteen ninety-three. And then I go too fast. I go too fast. I did a flyby. No. Horses, 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 horses. I haven't killed anybody since 1984. I'm your Huckleberry. All right, all right, all right. What seems to be your boggle? My boggle? This poem sucks. Special year for me because I just started working in movie theaters oh, this year. Wow. Turned 16, was my first job. Didn't know it would be one of my only ones. <laughs> Um, I started a movie theater in 1993, concession usher guy, uh, the week last action hero opened and, uh, was slightly dwarfed by a little movie called Jurassic Park in its second week. (laughs) Yeah. Um, You could almost call 1993, 1990 Spielberg. Right, right. right. Very much so because he comes out with two tremendously huge (laughs) movies and they're going to be fighting each other here. Um, this is a man at the top of his game. Um, Jurassic Park and Schindler's List, both in the same year. Yeah. Jumping into it. Yeah, we're doing it. One of the things I was struck with, but uh, I mean, this is his peak, right? Mm. I'm not saying he's gone down or he didn't have greatness before, but this is perfection. These two movies are both A pluses. Mm -hmm. And the second thing that occurs to me is uh, John Williams. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. My God. Who hit two equally great home runs with the scores for each of those movies. Uh, Tonally, those two movies couldn't be more different and if nope. it comes down to them for this vote we're basically we're how do, like barrett said in his email how do you argue jurassic park versus schindler's list they're so completely different completely different movies and this also started sort of a spielberg trend here where he started to do this a lot in his career after this now remember his career at this point is 20 years yeah. uh in yeah. and he had not really done he's he had not really done the kind of production he's about to get into right, right. when he does this because it's this and then right after this uh four years later he does lost world and amistad in the same year yeah. he did, was saving private ryan the following summer like the guy is just going crazy and then like uh i think he does a does this two movie in a year thing at least two or three more times after this wow um so insane but uh, Jurassic Park, so special of a movie. The I, I remember this is the first movie I ever walked in and noticed crowd reaction. Yeah, 
and uh, you know, especially when uh, Martin Ferrero, the guy who plays the lawyer, gets eaten in the in the, uh, the little um, you bathroom know, bathroom yeah. thing, uh, or whatever. I, because everybody, it's great watching everybody just kind of going, "Oh, that's funny." The dinosaurs looking at him, and they don't really expect him to come down and just chomp him down. They don't really expect that, and it, and it's such a great moment when you see the crowd just going, "Oh, oh," you yeah. know that type of thing. Yeah. Um, this was one of the first I iconic super in the zeitgeist trailers right with the the glass of water just with rippling as the t-rex comes by yep and that's all you needed for that trailer of course they then they cut to the the whole landscape of all the uh, the different types of dinosaurs and everything but that was an awesome trailer and being 13 or so at the time i was just floored yeah and it, it still probably holds up as one of the best trailers later parodied and then just stolen from from (laughs) many many movies after that um, is Jurassic Park not in all three of our top tens? What, of all time? Of all time. I've mm. never thought of it. Never thought of it that way. I thought you meant this year. I thought you loved it like Back to the Future. No, I love it. I don't, I've just never considered it whether it was in my top ten or not. Oh, I see. So when you ask me that question, I'm like, I don't know. I have well, to think about it. Well, you report back next week. Okay, I'll report back next week, and I'll tell you whether or not it hits the top 10 or not. It definitely hit top 10 uh, all-time box office when it came out. It was one of the biggest hits of all time. It was a monster. When it came out, um, uh, later surpassed by all the ridiculousness that then the box office just got stupid after this movie. Um, uh, because box office be crazy. Well, now movies are like, you got to open at $100 million or you're not good. It used to be that was the whole run. Right. That was a success. Now it's a whole week. It's got to get the hundred million, um, but Jurassic Park uh, is is insanely good, and I know that uh, I, I think Cisco and Ebert back in the day were like, "Oh, we kind of liked it. It's just not as good as Jaws." Which, <laughs> okay, it, it's not as good as Jaws, but it's still great. And just you know, worry about it on its own terms, you know. And uh, and he's talking about like how well you can put the whole plot on these Taco Bell cups that they're selling or whatever. Like, well, <laughs> yeah, but. Th- I like these characters. These characters are fine. Those it's, characters are so great. Even like yeah. the bit parts of like Samuel L. Jackson and yeah. Wayne Knight and Jeff Goldblum in kind of a minor role too. Like it's just that was so good. Everybody was in their right place. Well, one of the reasons I've soured on the Jurassic Park franchise as it's gone on through to Jurassic World is that it, we're just repeating the same story. There's mm-hmm. only one story you can tell. People, yeah. people end up on the island. They get in peril. Monsters come after them, but but the first one—that's the first time we'd ever seen anything like yeah. that. Yeah, well, and and Engine has become Umbrella basically yeah. now. <laughs> that's the that's the whole thing. There, they just keep on like, oh, they had a secret facility somewhere. Oh, that was another island with dinosaurs. <laughs> yeah. Um. Anyway, yeah, Jurassic Park, amazing. Uh, going on into Schindler's List, which uh, is a movie I've. I think I said I've seen it once. I've seen it maybe more than that because it has come on over the years on cable and stuff like that. Uh, Schindler's List is a ridiculously great movie. It is. Um, I I love it a lot. I just don't watch it that often. And I, but I do know that Liam Neeson is ridiculously great in yeah, this. Yeah. Ray Fiennes well-deservedly got praise in this as well. Mm-hmm. And so did Ben Kingsley. Um, I don't think Liam Neeson he may have gotten nominated. He didn't win, though. It was weird because Schindler's List was just taking everything yeah. that year. And it's obviously Best Picture of 1993. But uh, but not everybody in the acting categories. So anyway, Schindler's List. Yeah. I it, mean, I've seen it more than you. Uh, it's not an easy movie to watch. No. Nope. Which I think is part of what you're talking about when yeah. you say it's great, but you don't watch it a lot. 
um, because the subject matter is so difficult. Yeah. But that's also what makes it such an important movie mm -hmm. because for a, an entire generation or more, this movie opened eyes, and I'm talking about younger people. Yeah, this, yeah. they show this movie in school. Mm -hmm. This movie was shown on network television, completely uncensored. Right, and yeah. it has nudity in it. Yep. Yeah, um, so this is this is that rare occasion where a piece of art becomes much more important than that. Yeah, um, I don't think any other director could have done this this story, this movie at that time. Not no, with his background and with his knowledge and with. His scope and his ability to to put something like this on the screen, I don't know how many other directors could do that. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Again, he's he's at the top of his game. Yeah. Um, you know, I would even argue with the guy who told you that Jaws was obviously better than Jurassic Park. Mm -hmm. There, first of all, it's not fair to compare those two kinds of movies, mm -hmm. and it's not fair to compare Jurassic Park and Schindler's List, which we're about <laughs> yeah. to do later. Um, but I've probably seen it five or six times, um, and uh, I love it. Again, I I can't. Every time I think of a movie or talk about a movie on this podcast that Seinfeld has parodied, I'm going to bring it up. Um, I love this parody because it's not just a parody of Schindler's List, but within the show itself, Schindler's List, the movie, yeah. is a plot point. Judge Reinhold. Because um, he's taking them to, he takes them to see the movie. His parent, Jerry's parents are trying to encourage him to go. He finally goes with this hot girl he hasn't had any alone time with, and Newman sees him making out in yeah, Schindler's List Schindler's and list. tells everyone on his mail route people who don't even know jerry <laughs> right anyway but judge reinhold at the end of course emulating the liam neeson thing at the end yeah. where he's like i could have sold my two cars i could have done all these different things and whatever <laughs> um but this is one of the most quotable steven spielberg movies this is one of he's he uh teams up with steven zalian who is a, a tremendously well-respected screenwriter um steven zalian uh wrote in this is just I mean, th there's stuff, even though I've only seen this movie a couple of times or once or whatever, uh, you know, it's not the work, it's not the work, but the presentation, yeah. you know, and all that. <laughs> You've probably said that a million times, especially as a projectionist, right. uh, you know, uh, all that type <laughs> of stuff. But like, uh, it's a haven, you know, and all that. You just uh, the way Liam Neeson, you know, eats into this dialogue is great. Anyway, Schindler's List is an amazing movie. Uh, we'd highly recommend that if yeah, you indeed. haven't seen it. All right, let's start diving into the rest of this year. Yeah. Do it. Um, I would say The Fugitive was one of the biggest hits after that. Indeed. Mm -hmm. uh, it came out in August of that year, and uh, it was I, it's it's still like amazing action adventure movie and everything and this is you know even though tommy lee jones is kind of that that character has been parodied and everything and it's like you know it's just the it's just something that every time you go in to search for something you're like i want to search every outhouse in-house yeah. blah 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 <laughs> it's so quotable chris and i yeah. went to get like a, at a chicken shack a couple of weeks ago and the fugitive was playing and just reflexively, we both started quoting. It was around that Tommy Lee Jones scene. We both started quoting the whole thing. Like, oh, yeah. I want to take every 10 house out of house. <laughs> yeah. Uh, when we were in Chicago last year for C2E2, we stayed at a hotel where yep. they shot the final scenes yeah. of yeah, this yeah. movie. Uh, the hotel tells you that everywhere you look. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I would claim that, too. Uh, but it was neat. I I love that movie. And so being able to be in that same building was just extra special for me. Um, this kicks off a rebirth of Harrison Ford, the action star. Yes, Because after this, he's doing the Clancy movies, mm -hmm. and he does Air Force One. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, you know, it had been a few years since he'd been an action star. It's sort of the way you make, um, you know, a TV series into a movie. You know, mm -hmm. like, they, it's kind of what they did with the Untouchables, you know, where mm. they, they, 
yeah, okay, we have this past uh, TV series to look at and everything, but we're going to make our own thing here. We're going to, you know, we're going to take that story and we're going to make just a solid movie out of this. This is Andrew Davis again with Tommy Lee Jones, uh, who they just done under siege the previous year. Uh, Tommy Lee Jones is amazing. He did win the Oscar for Mm. this. Uh, but uh, it's also probably we've used that Peter Pan oh, yeah. thing I, probably 40 to 50 times in outtakes yeah. in, in the thing. But it's just a great scene. It's uh, anytime somebody jumps off of uh, anything, a cliff or whatever, and then they survive it. You know, it's a guy did a Peter Pan right now. It's probably, damn here. A, it's probably a tie between that one and the Simpsons. I regret. Nothing. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah. The Fugitive is an exciting action movie and it's it still holds up today i think yeah uh this is the year bill murray hits a big old grand slam yes he does uh, with groundhog day yeah Mm -hmm. which uh i somehow managed to watch probably once a year uh not like on groundhog day or anything but it comes on enough such a watchable movie yeah i mean i just said a week or two ago that i think what about bob is better but this it, I think this is more watchable. Yeah. Now I've seen this movie way more than What About Bob, and this is probably my favorite of the two. But, um, but Groundhog Day is just infinite fun all the way through it. Like, just it gets your mind going. Like, you know, what would I do right. if I was in this situation and everything? And Bill Murray does just about everything that you can think of in yeah. this. Yeah. Like he does. Like he. Like okay. Well. I'll be a criminal and see what happens with that. I'll try to commit suicide 400 times. Yeah. I'll, you know, there's all these different things. Now he does, it does get kind of creepy with the Andy McDowell stuff. Yeah. Like when he's trying to find out all of her likes and everything, but yes, I feel like the movie <laughs> slaps him on the wrist for that. I yeah, feel like he yeah. learns a lesson. He from does. That. He gets slapped many times. His um, performance though, it, it's not just a traditional, like what about Bob performance where it's just almost pure comedic. There's like a, real touch of malaise in this yeah. dark streak here oh yeah there definitely is where yeah. where he's in that that scene where he's just you know leaping off the the roof mm-hmm. that's shown pretty graphically it's not just like oh hey this is funny we're just gonna jump off that kind of thing yeah so, yeah no it's it's definitely got more meat to it than just a traditional comedy even like a high concept comedy yeah uh, it's just, I think it's enjoyable throughout. I don't really, I can't think of any weak spots in it at all. Andy McDowell? <sighs> you know, take I, that back. <laughs> take that back. I've never been a huge fan of her. I don't hate her or anything, but I think this is where she's best. Like, she doesn't bother me in this movie at all. Yeah, mm-hmm. she's, a, she's, a, she's not asked to carry it in any way, really. She's, I mean, she's, she has to be basically what she is, I think. Like, she doesn't have to be, you know, Lauren McCall or something like that, you know. It would have helped, I think. Yeah, it might have. Um, Harold Ramis obviously took a liking to her because he cast her in Multiplicity later on. Yeah, and um, she's, I think she's good in that. I like that yeah. movie more than most people do. Yeah, yeah, I'm the same way. I like Multiplicity a lot. But uh, but yeah, Groundhog Day is just 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 generally uh, a fantastic comedy. And we can't forget Stephen Tobolowsky yeah. in one of the best <laughs> uh, guest uh, or cameo appearances or uh, character actor appearances ever in a movie because it's so quotable today. Yeah. You know, because people still go around. It's Ned yeah. Ryerson, you know, and all that, and it's uh, it's just um, watch just, that first step. It's yeah, a it's a doozy, and you're just so glad when he gets his comeuppance by the end of it. You know. Um, also in 1993, Richard Linkletter comes out with Dazed and Confused, yeah, which is one. Now this 
it might actually be in my top 10 for sure. Wow. I've seen at least as number of times I've seen it. You want to talk about a movie? I There was a question a few uh, podcasts ago. What do you pop in just on the background? I may have popped this in more than I popped in any other movie. Yeah. Um, and it's just, it's, it, you know, it's a short, it's short, but it's also got just, it's got great dialogue in it. It's fun. It's just, it's a nice, like, it to me, it's it's one of those movies. I call these these night movies. You can pop it in at one mm-hmm. o'clock in the morning, and it just feels right. <laughs> you know, it's just like the perfect movie because it's just all in one night. This movie, yeah. And uh, and like I watched this uh in a I watched this in a small theater. Um, there was you know there's all that hazing that's going on. Well, I was actually the next day at school going into some sort of club where there was hazing. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> nice light hazing but not like you know not anything we had to do like no no paddling of any sort happened in the just heavy petting yeah just heavy petting um but uh but yeah days and confused is so good this is uh link letters like second movie he did slacker yeah, earlier slacker that, and uh slacker is what we didn't mention slacker back in i think it was 91 mm. when it came out uh but slacker was uh was a movie that was as responsible for the indie movement as just about anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we talk about sex lies and videotape and all that. Uh, Slacker was made for very cheap, but uh, he, he translates this into dazed and confused. And I just love this movie so much. And they, and then that everybody wants some came out earlier this year yeah. when everybody was talking about the spiritual sequel to dazed and confused, but it's not nearly as good as this. This yeah. is. Mm. Well, I'm one of those people I, I've seen dazed and confused maybe twice mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I liked it. It's just one of those that, it didn't hit me the way it hit you, just like The Martian didn't hit you the way it hit me. It's just, um, it didn't it never became one that I watched a bunch, so I can't really speak to it too much. But yeah, I'm about the same way actually. I've watched it a few times and I very much enjoyed it, but it just never. It's never just, it's just got to me, it's of me, just perfect. It's just a perfect movie because it's, yeah. I mean, plot wise, you're not, you don't really care about the plot. There are very, there's only just a couple of characters you may really care about in this. And Matthew McConaughey steals the show when he comes in too. Uh, But just the way it's done in that, just that it's a day in the life of high schoolers and everything has always appealed to me. It's just one of those movies that just works on so many levels. But uh, anyway, go on. Well, one of the movies that got inside of me, pretty nice. uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> was, and that's also responsible probably for half of Hot Topics business is The Nightmare Before Christmas. Oh, yep. oh man. Yep. Now, my wife and I argue about this movie annually. <laughs> what? Because she says it's a Halloween movie because he realizes his true place at the end. And yeah. I say it's a Christmas movie because to, to find his true place, he has to learn the meaning of Christmas. Mm. That's an interesting argument. And so there's a three or four month period where we watch this movie yeah, a lot. Yeah, 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 of course. Uh, we both love it, but my God, the songs in this movie. Mm-hmm. Yep. The whimsy. Uh, well, I, yeah, because this was sung, Jack Skellington's character was voiced by Chris Sarandon, but it was sung by Danny, Danny Elfman, Elfman. Yeah. you know, the famous composer, and he was in the band Oingo Boingo, too. <laughs> uh, but yeah, and it, there's a lot of weird things about that, because Danny Elfman sings but doesn't do the, the dialogue, and it's called, I think it's actually subtitled Tim Burton's A Nightmare Before Christmas, but Henry Selleck yeah. directed it. Right. And but it's, it's obviously got a Tim, big Burton Tim Burton all over yeah. it. Yeah. It's probably yeah. why that credit is in the title. Yeah. yeah. Um, but man, I... I would watch this, other than maybe Ed Wood, which we'll spend hours talking about yep. in a few podcasts. Uh, I would rather watch this than almost any other Tim Burton movie. Yeah, yeah, it's I agree. Short, sweet, perfect message, great 
twisted humor that never gets too dark for little ones. Uh-huh. Um, I love this movie so much. It's it's probably well, it's in the six that I listed that I might vote if we do six <laughs> rounds. Well, it's got that fantastic image that they I think they put it in the trailer too, where the kid pulls the head out of his gift and his like <laughs> present, and he's just like disappointed. What you did know? you get, Timmy? <laughs> yeah. There you go. He's just so disappointed. He's not horrified at all. He's uh, just uh, everything not about what this, I wanted. Yeah, everything about this turns the holiday genre on its head. Oh yeah, it's so good. And like I said, I've, I've listened to the soundtrack probably as much as any soundtrack I've ever had. And the songs, they complement the narrative perfectly. They're sung, they're performed perfectly. Mm. And there's always this twist, even when uh, they have the band try out to uh, do Christmas carols. Yeah. He says, play Jingle Bells. He's like, ding, 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 ding. And then it's like, like in a minor key. It's awesome. Robin Williams had a big hit this year. Yep. Mrs. Doubtfire. Oh, yeah. Which... I don't know where it stands on the box office scale for the year, but everyone in the world I knew saw this movie. It was one of the biggest of 1993. I remember. I wouldn't be surprised if it was just under Jurassic Park because it was a it was a huge, huge hit up there with The Fugitive, at least, I would think. Yeah, Um, yeah. And uh, good movie. I'm not sure it holds up quite as well today. No, it's no fucking way. Nobody in that family recognizes their dad behind that makeup. (laughs) But I know that's not the point of the movie. Um, But I quote this movie all the time. Oh, really? When he's pretending to be that Swedish person trying to get the nanny job. And he goes, I am job. (laughs) 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 Stuff like that. Or the, oh, it was a drive-by fruiting. Um, But, uh, you know, I'm not... I think it's good. I don't know why I'd call it great. Man, I haven't seen it in forever. It was, by the way, second biggest hit of 1993. But uh, I haven't seen it since it came out. And in fact, the only thing I remember about Mrs. Doubtfire is just movie theater stuff. Just like, I remember going in and cleaning it and like there was... 10 beer bottles in the front row of Mrs. Doubtfire. I'm like, what, you, what the fuck are you doing? A guy dressed up as a woman. I'm going to have to get drunk for this. No, I don't know. The whole like gay humor and cross-dressing humor and all that stuff mm. I don't think would fly now. A movie that I don't think did a lot on the box office side, but has in the years since gained a tremendous reputation that I think it deserves is The Sandlot. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> nice. Um Coming of age, this movie, minus the dark streak of the murder, reminds me a lot of Stand By Me mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, uh, in terms of the f- emotions it elicits and attempts to elicit. Um, it's kind of a softer, gentler Stand By Me, right? Yeah, yeah. There's a, there's a big, huge dog and an angry, blind James Earl Jones on the other mm-hmm. side of this fence, and um, it's just about a summer of these kids playing baseball in a sandlot and i played a lot of sandlot baseball uh-huh. i played a lot of like backyard baseball um so i don't know if you guys like this movie as much as i do but... no i like it I, I haven't seen it in forever but um this this blindsided me how many people love sandlot and i i didn't realize this until uh i was working at another place and somebody was like talking about a render on a computer or something like that and he's just like this is taking four ever <laughs> forever and i was like i mean i didn't know that movie was a big deal and i was just looking at the box office it made 32 million it was the 50th most popular movie yeah. in, wow uh in 1993 so it was a blip basically when it came yeah out. it was a it was a blip and like I, but now i just hear people like you know quoting it all the time and it's just one of those movies that have has gotten a huge reputation since Mm -hmm. uh but yeah i liked it when i first saw it yeah yeah 
I think we promised uh, to talk about falling down a little bit, didn't we? <laughs> yeah, we did. Nice. Uh, I'll let you lead that off. Um, Joel Schumacher, who is a whipping boy uh, for almost everybody, mainly because of Batman Forever and Batman and Robin, and a host of other like horrible <laughs> movies and some movies that don't really even deserve to be like Lost Boys and you know yeah. and all that. Joel Schumacher occasionally made some good stuff, like Flatliners was fun to watch. Falling Down is his best one, I think. I think it's his best movie. And you want to talk about a movie that is just insanely watchable all the way through it. Michael Douglas (laughs) is a guy who, he's not a good guy in any way, but he's our protagonist and we root for him uh, because the frustrations of 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 an average white dude in LA yeah. is basically just like thrown into focus here and he has snapped he can't take the traffic anymore he can't take other people's racial identities he can't take uh 10 30 breakfast cut off he goes into the breakfast he goes into the store and he's like uh he's like uh, have you ever heard that the customer's always right and he's like well sir blah 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 and he pulls out a gun this movie plays today because of that right yeah like, there's so yeah. much tension out there in the u.s that you could see a guy snapping like this and you know i always feel bad for robert duvall because yeah. he turns in a great performance here but it's completely overshadowed because you know douglas is playing such a flashier type of character mm-hmm. um but i, I love this movie oh I think it's, it's so great. good duvall's on his last day i think yeah about to retire as always as always has to go after this lunatic yeah um, it's good stuff and, and his, tits. His, yeah his wife is like you know don't do this this is your last day <laughs> let somebody else deal with this and you know duvall's always you know i gotta do this blah 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 you know he's always but uh yeah i mean and I, there's a scene that i love in this where he goes and he's um, he's trying to get all this like army gear and stuff. And the guy who runs the place is like this huge homophobic, you know, yeah. it doesn't care what he says. Like there's two gay guys that come into the store and he just keeps saying all this stuff so that they'll, they'll leave yeah. and everything. And, uh, and then Douglas ends up like getting pissed off at this guy. And he's like, he's like, he's he, the guy was like, you're just like me, man. He's like, I'm nothing like you. What are you talking about? Even though he's done all this yeah. crazy shit, you know, self-righteous <laughs> indignation. Yeah. Um, falling down is fantastic. Yeah. Um, all right. What else? Well, I like the movie Dave a whole lot. Yes, <laughs> me too. Um, Kevin Klein mm-hmm. as a guy who happens to look like the president and does some side gigs impersonating the president. Mm-hmm. President has some kind of health emergency. Sex stroke. Yeah, he basically <laughs> has a stroke while he's having sex with a mistress. Um, and so it's a comedy, by the way. When Once I start talking about the premise, you'll realize that. So they go and get this lookalike to play the role of the president um, until the president can recover, and they think they can control him. Um, and it's just basically a farce and it's so much fun and it has so much faith in government. Yeah. Right? yeah. I'll tell you what the he, farce is, is where they go into that budget meeting yeah. and he trims, <laughs> he trims the budget in yeah. like 20 minutes. Well, he gets his buddy Charles Grodin in on it and he's just like, he's like, well, we've got all this waste. Why do we pay for these people anymore? And they, they all right, we're cutting this <laughs> and, fucking joke. And then by the end of it, everybody's applauding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, all right, we got enough for the first lady's pa- passion yeah. project. All right, we're good. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's sort of Mr. Smith goes to Washington, you know, where. <laughs> 
uh, somebody idealistic can come in and just change things because he's got ideas and he's got the power and all sort of stuff. This was one of the first movies that used special effects in a way where you could turn the camera while the two, like when the actor right. was playing two characters mm. to the same two characters or you know, twins or whatever. This was one of the first movies that actually did that where the camera could actually move while that happened and everything. Um, so it was notable for that too, but this is a great comedy. This oh, is yeah. something I haven't seen it in forever, but I love it. When I'm flipping awesome. through, if I see it, I, it's one of those that I'll stop on and I've probably combined in all those little chunks. I've probably seen it 20 or 25 yeah. times. Yeah. Sigourney Weaver's in really yeah, good. Sigourney yeah. Weaver, Ben Kingsley, a lot of great cast yeah. in this. Um, well, we also got a double dose of John Grisham yeah. in this year, <laughs> yeah. uh, who was the most popular writer at the time. Oh my God. Came, it was crazy. Came everybody in the early nineties owned a copy of the firm. Yeah. And because he was an ex-lawyer, I guess he maybe even a current lawyer at the time, he wrote about the law and its place in in this like thriller type of right. context like nobody else had done before. Mm -hmm. Right. And it was really, really good. Pelican Brief also came out the same yeah. year, but the firm, Tom Cruise, is terrific yeah. In, yeah. in the firm. He and that's as, that's as tight and intense of a thriller about the law <laughs> <laughs> than you'll ever see. I mean, Gene Hackman is terrific in this Hal Holbrook yeah. and everybody. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's amazing. You can't talk about that movie without talking about the score. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, it's all piano. It's mm -hmm. all very percussive, and it only adds to the the, the tension of this thriller, yeah. I think. Uh, the pulse-pounding I yeah, mean, how can you describe a piano score as pulse pounding? Yeah. But it's great. It's fantastic music. Yeah, the Furman Pelican Brief just super high to John Grisham. You'd start, you started seeing almost everything he wrote. Yeah, started get coming out yep. like in the following years, the Client, the Rainmaker, and and just you know, and then stuff like, well, you don't have any more books. Let's do the Gingerbread Man, you know, <laughs> stuff like that. Um, but, Kenneth Branagh. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Kenneth Branagh. He has a movie this year too, Much Ado About Nothing, which is really good. Oh my God, Much Ado About Nothing. Yeah, I was so excited. I was in kind of a a junior Shakespeare uh, phase at this at this point, and that's a that's one of his most famous and one of his most performed plays. Yeah, and Kenneth Branagh and Emma Thompson and Denzel Washington, all these amazing things, and Keanu Reeves. Yeah, <laughs> continues to get goddamn work. Well, yeah, playing a British fucking person. Yeah, he comes in and he's just makes the picture awful. Oh my he god! This is his first attempt to grow a beard. Yeah. Everything about his performance pissed he me off. He comes in and he, he just immediately makes it awful. Immediately, oh. yeah. Uh, but much ado about nothing. Uh, I remember highly enjoying this. Yeah. overall, and uh, I had I had not been exposed to the play before this and everything. And I even liked the Joss Whedon one that mm -hmm. came out um, like much later, like a few years ago. Um, but uh, but this is this is really good stuff. Um, the Pelican Brief, uh, Much Ado About Nothing, and Philadelphia all have one thing in common, yeah. and that's Denzel Washington. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. guy was working Good a lot. Good year. And Philadelphia, we were talking about the most unnominated performances of all time. Uh, Denzel Washington in Philadelphia is so good, and yeah. this character is is unlike anything he's ever played before. Uh, it's, it's hard to play. I think a guy who is definitely prejudiced, but is trying to, trying to do the right thing through the law. Yeah. And that's what he is through this. He's very conflicted during this whole story. Tom Hanks obviously is amazing and he deservedly got the Oscar for this. Uh, but Philadelphia is a, is a really good movie. It's a, it's like a good law movie, like a good, 
um, uh, you know, trial room type yeah. movie. I mean, you, you know, you ask an average person on the street what Philadelphia is. Oh, is it that Tom Hanks AIDS movie? Well, yeah, kind of. <laughs> but it's also uh, a really good drama. And, and oh, it's yeah. And it. And, you know, and Denzel Washington is just amazing in this. Probably should have been nominated for his performance because it's a tough character to play. This was, strangely enough, a, a bit of a comeback for Bruce Springsteen mm-hmm. uh, doing the theme yeah. for this, Streets of Philadelphia. Yeah. And this kind of launched his his late career boom. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's an awesome song. Same too. thing for Neil Young, too. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, just- speaking of soundtracks, I'll segue that right into another uh, Academy Award nominated performance, uh, Mike Myers in So I Married an Actor. Oh! <laughs> um, this is a sleeper soundtrack, I think. Oh, yeah. If you get the soundtrack, you'll I think you'll be surprised how good and also how early 90s it is. Uh, I love this movie. Yeah, me too. I have seen this movie uh, it's so great. dozens and dozens of times, mm-hmm. and there's almost no scene that isn't quotable. Right. Right? <laughs> Just two days ago... I'm in the kitchen. My wife is making a salad and I go, he wants you back. He screamed into the night air like a fireman going to a window that has no fire. I mean, um, except the passion of his heart. I I could do all of his poems. Um, God, I love this movie. Uh, Phil Hartman, bless his soul. Yeah, I know. Almost steals the movie in three scenes yeah. on uh, Alcatraz. Uh, got a great cast. Charles Grodin pops in. Amanda Plummer's in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, Nancy Travis. Yeah. And just humor all the way through. Yeah. This movie is so fucking 90s. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes, it is. It is the 90s version of 90s movies that you could get. Until Reality Bites comes. <laughs> <laughs> oh. yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. No, but it really is from, from the yeah. coffee shops to the yeah. the uh, the beat poetry and the San Francisco location, yeah. the music and yeah. everything. What I think about in this movie is Mike Myers' dad. Uh, the Scottish guy, like uh, he's really attached with his family and everything. So like he'll pick up some haggis on the way. And that's how he meets. Nancy, Nancy yeah. And so this was kind of like the, the prototype of fat bastard. Sure. Uh, Mike Myers performance of it uh, because he's super Scottish. Yeah. And I guess it's Mike Myers brother. Uh, who, who he's got this big head, so <laughs> so the dad calls him head, but with the Scottish accent, it's always heed, yeah. heed, and he's always he's like that thing's got its own orbit, yeah. like, heed, come get my pants, yeah, and uh, anytime anyone says the word evil, like so, it's Donald Trump is evil or whatever, I always go like the fruits of the devil. <laughs> <laughs> and the other thing that I quote constantly is if I ever go anywhere and there's something there that appears to be big, mm-hmm. bigger than it should be for the space it's in, I always rip off that, uh, what this place needs is a giant oversized poster of Atlantic City. Oh, you got one. <laughs> <laughs> this, is, uh, this is Mike Myers in this in this period of time where he was doing movies. You had Wayne's World and then you had this, you had Wayne's World 2, then later Austin Powers. He's just never afraid to be ridiculous, and that's why these these comedies are good for me. Like, you know, a lot of comedies just are afraid to go there a lot of times. That's why those early Adam Sandlers have that energy to them. Yeah. That, that you know, just he doesn't ever replicate ever after the after his first few. Mike Myers is the same way. Like these movies are just got such they have such comedic energy. They're not they are not afraid to try anything. That's a great point. Because it, it's shocking. The, the first scene in the coffee shop where he's just like, he's sitting by himself just like joking to himself yeah. in like the surrounding area. Yeah. And it's it 
it's jarring because you don't see that anymore. It's awesome. That's well, and point. he's, I guess he's like a major league slugger, right? Mm-hmm. Like he goes for the fences in, t- in this kind of way, going for it. And that's why we sometimes get like the love guru and yeah. stuff that falls a little flat. He strikes out every now and then, but at least he's trying yeah. to go to places other people aren't. Yeah. So I, I think out of this 1993 discussion, this is the most obscure movie that we could possibly like you know recommend oh but yeah go find it you have not seen my list my friend Uh-oh. <laughs> well uh we'll get to that i'm sure but 1993 also contained true romance yeah which uh quentin tarantino wrote and then tony scott directed this is one of the hardest r movies you're ever gonna it see. has yeah. everything everything that makes a movie rated r is in this yeah and into excess yeah 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 and um and it's but it's it's classic tarantino but it's blown out of proportion by tony scott who is a you know a, a don simpson jerry bruckheimer disciple uh he goes full on but man it's exciting it's just an yeah. exciting movie great and the scene between dennis hopper and christopher walken is one of the best things i've seen in the last 30 years yeah. oh an and uh this was one of my favorite uh casting against type when they cast uh Balky Bartakamus Bronson Pincho as a coca. Yeah. Like I I was shocked because I had only ever seen him do the perfect strangers or whatever that show is called. Right. Um, Yeah. But true romance is amazing. And that scene is one of the best scenes ever. Mm -hmm. Uh, But there are a lot of good performances. Oh, yeah. Gary Oldman steals the again, the the opening of the movie looking nothing like Gary Oldman, Um, you know, uh, not quite yet famous. Sopranos actor <laughs> Jared, uh, James Gandolfini. I blank on names way too much. Um, <clears throat> so he's in this scene, has a great scene beating the crap out of Alabama. Yeah, um, and another one with Brad Pitt, Brad who's Pitt. also in this movie. He's got a great scene with that because Michael Rappaport has yeah. <laughs> good stuff. It's just uh, it's re- if you can handle the hard Rness, violence, uh, language. Maybe not so much nudity. There's uh, some, though. It's it's very fun. It's a very fun movie. This has one of my favorite songs and movie trailers. The trailer for this has The o- Other Side by Aerosmith in it. Oh, wow. And it's I, I'm not a huge Aerosmith fan, but I love that song. And that placement in that trailer is fantastic. It really... You want to see the movie anyway, but it'll make you want to see the movie if you watch it online. Yeah, and and this is this is Christian Slater at his best too. This I is, love Christian. Slater. I've never seen Christian Slater as good as he is in this yeah. movie. Um, um, go for it. Uh, the other one that I saw was uh, "What's Eating Gilbert Grape." Mm-hmm. This By is... the way, th- this is this is a great movie. It also starts a string of Johnny Depp performances that are criminally. Un, like yeah uh, undervalued for it never gets nominated in the 90s it takes the pirates of the caribbean before yeah. he finally even gets any any notice at all for these performances johnny depp in the 90s was the best johnny depp this oh, yeah. was the uh, this was i mean if he, those movies had come out after pirates of the caribbean how much would that have changed everything you know as far as you know his nomination count is he should have been nominated for this but DiCaprio is mm. the big one here. It's his, like not his first movie, but it's um, Hello World. Yeah, it's Hello World, and and he's fantastic in this. But he this is. movie is great. It's just one of those. I mean, it's a good, solid drama that doesn't. Ha- I mean, it's not too heavy for a while, and then yeah, I mean, it's uh, that may yeah, have been whole, a, a pun there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, the, the whole familial interactions are amazing to watch between mom and brother to brother and all that well uh another smaller movie that is good for uh, checking out 
young acting performances from superstars is Six Degrees of Separation. Yeah. Hmm. Um, I don't know if you guys have seen it, but it's Will Smith, uh, one of the very earliest dramatic roles mm-hmm. that he plays he kills it yeah uh, it's uh, about a guy who cons this wealthy white family into thinking he's the son of Sidney Poitier um, he'd been in a movie prior to this that I've seen called Where the Day Takes You mm-hmm. that has Ricky Lake and a bunch of other stars and he that's a dramatic role where he's in a wheelchair but this is if you had never seen him do anything but the rapping and the Fresh Prince show this is a shocking thing to see because and it's Donald Sutherland's in this it's great cast um pretty good drama I, I enjoyed a lot i somehow missed this movie i remember it came out i remember it got a lot of like accolades and everything people were saying go watch it still haven't seen it to this day it's yeah. just one of those movies that uh, you know hit my radar and it fell off and i still haven't seen it i know it's good though i, I i've gotten a lot of recommendations for it so um, i gotta give a quick not talk about it after this shout out to one of my favorite terrible movies ever <laughs> demolition man yes not anywhere sniffing contention for any kind of awards that no, we might give out uh not but at God all damn do i love that, that movie, movie is too. bonkers oh it's batshit it insane so bonkers it is it's crazy used to and i love it used to go on my break and watch that same hour every every day over the weekend it's like I watched Demolition Man so many freaking times. It's just a movie that was just insane fun all the time. Yeah, um, I think uh, Mike Judge got the inspiration for Idiocracy from like Sandra Bullock and <laughs> Benjamin Bratt in this movie. Yeah. They're just like so blithely naive and yeah. ignorant of yeah. all things. You <laughs> yeah. just take it a few notches further and you have Idiocracy over here. And 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 it's uh, it's one of the funniest sex scenes of all time, too, because Stallone's like, oh boy, I'm going to get to bang Sandra Bullock. And then she pulls out these VR headsets. <laughs> Let us have sex, John yeah, Harden. Yeah, and he's like, the exchange of bodily fluids has been banned. Yeah, and there's like 500 diseases that she rattles off right after that. This was, you know, pre-fame Sandra Bullock. So like, I, I did, totally didn't even recognize her when I saw her in Speed later. Yeah. You know, I was like, I was like, oh yeah, she's cool. And then went back to Demolition Man. I was like, oh, it's her. Yeah. Oh my God. It's one of those type of performances. But she's fantastic in it too. She's so cute. She's very it. lovable in that yeah. movie. There's no doubt. Can I ask you guys a question? Yeah. Do you guys like Tombstone? I okay. do. I you enjoy like Tombstone. Tombstone. But uh, this is how I always talk about it. There are two kinds of Westerns. A Tombstone Western or Wyatt Earp Western. Yeah. Both came out, I think, this year. Wyatt Earp Wyatt may have been a year later. was the next year, I think. Um, one is flashy, yes. glitzy, and yes. stylized, yes. but enjoyable. Yes. The other is trying to do a very serious story. And goddamn, I'm so upset. That Val Kilmer is the only guy who gets any praise for playing Dog Hol- Holiday. Is I cannot. Holiday? I can't disagree with you more. You think Dennis Quaid is bad? No, I don't think he's bad. But Val Kilmer's performance of Doc Holiday is the definitive performance. I mean, everything about that is iconic. It's and as quotable. definitive as a icing on a cake can be definitive. It's, it's delicious. <laughs> well, it's fine, but it's sugar. I'm saying. So? I'm saying there's another Doc Holiday performance out there that is top-notch acting that nobody ever talks about. No, sure, yeah, it's perfectly fine, but it's not Val Kilmer's performance, which is just, 
everything about he brings humor, he brings pathos, he brings he brings this camaraderie, and you just can't help but look at him on the screen every time he's on there. There's a hint of danger to every time he's on the screen. He is the most capable, even in his weakened state. He's this the most capable has of all that. From wings in it, I can't take it seriously. So does Sideways. Well, that he's playing a more Lowell type <laughs> character there. Isn't this one? He's playing up like a badass cowboy now, or something. I will yeah, say, even though I don't have a strong opinion one way or the other, I've seen both of those movies one time and I have never revisited them. But um, I, I do know that Tombstone, it, I'm not saying that Jeremy's wrong. I'm just saying that Tombstone, Tombstone usually is the more popular of the oh, for sure. of, I agree. of those movies and everything. Um, I, it was it was always taken as the second uh, Doc, you know, whatever. The it second. was longer too. Yeah, yeah, it's like three hours. Yeah. Um, you know, I guess what I'm saying is, and I'm not trying to put one of them down. Yeah. It's just that one of them is candy and one of them is a meal. And sometimes I want candy and sometimes I want a meal. I think I said to one of you guys that the Magnificent Seven we're about to get that I'm very excited to see is going to be much more Tombstone than wider. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. going to be stylized and, you know, sugar-coated, and that's okay. That can work. I think Tombstone is really fun. I think Val Kilmer's great in it. It's just really, once I saw Wyatt Earp, I felt so bad for Dennis Quaid because no one in my entire life has ever said to me, Dennis Quaid is so good in that movie. But he is. He, <laughs> he is. is very, very good. Yeah, they're very different performances. Well, and and Kurt Russell, too, is yeah. just so good in this, too. The and, and and you can't shake the indelible image of him going, you know, tell him I'm coming and hell's coming with me That's and so- all that. It's just it's impossible to get out of your head. It's, it's got such large powers booth and Michael Bean is, is <laughs> yeah. the as the cowboy man i could watch this movie day after day and be fine with it yeah and you probably can't watch wyatt earp day after day and be fine with it because it's long and more you know i'm just it's saying. more erpy <laughs> it's one of those cases where it's not this is not dante's peak and volcano where <laughs> no. like one is vastly superior to the other or what or deep impact in armageddon i think they're both great <laughs> 1993 also brought the reteam of Brian De Palma and Al Pacino in a movie I actually do like. <laughs> Carlito's Way uh-huh. came out in 1993, and I love this one. Uh, this one's way better than Scarface to me. Mm. Uh, Pacino is 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 more uh, dressed down in this. Sean Penn comes in with a oh, just an so awesome. unreal performance in this, um, and uh, but it's just one of those movies that. Uh, I, I enjoy highly and uh, and De Palma is is still making great movies at this point. He's had a career of about 20 years at this point. Um and uh and it's just I, I don't I don't know Carlito's way is never going to get the same recognition that Scarface does, but it doesn't need to. It's just it's just a I think it's a superior movie. Are my notes wrong or is this Sleepless in Seattle year? No, it came out this year. Okay, Ooh. so we we have to mention that. Oh yeah. Yep. Um, that was a huge movie. Yes, it was. Uh, everyone saw it, and uh, I still like it. I think it's really watchable. Um, a lot of great side performances mm-hmm. from great a- Victor Garber's in yep. this. Um, you get uh, Rosie O'Donnell, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> Bill Pullman, and everybody's pulling their weight uh, to make it really sing this kind of romantic notion of mm-hmm. a song, right? Yeah. Like by the end, you kind of you're like, yeah, all right. i could see them being together forever even though this kooky that oh my god it's kooky that you would do this yeah you know i mean yeah he 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 calls in to a radio show and meg ryan falls in love with him based on that yeah drive into a christmas (laughs) celebration yeah (laughs) i.e a stalker right right yeah (laughs) exactly (laughs) (laughs) but hanks is uh is is 
having an unusually great year in, in yeah. 1993. And he's, and he's what pulls you into this movie because he's, he's so, so his, his, his call is touching, you know, he's talking about his dead wife here and all that. And I love his scenes with his kid yeah. and everything. The, especially like, you know, the kids, the kids like, yeah, I guess you I guess if you uh, go out on a date with her, you get to have sex with her, huh? And he's, <laughs> what do you know about that? Well, my, my friend's got cable. <laughs> <laughs> also, I certainly hope so. It's like, well, they're, they're just like, it's like, it's like, oh, they're always, uh, they're always uh, screaming and scratching each other's backs and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> which that scene was featured in the cable guy. Yeah, which it was. It was Rob Reiner, the actor yep. in this movie, yeah. yep. uh, with one of the lines I quote the most. Hello, mm-hmm. Diane. Do you want to come look at some swatches? <laughs> <laughs> no, was it Reiner or was it Hanks that did that line? I thought Hanks did the Cary Grant. I thought it was Reiner, but uh, maybe we'll just cut this out and find out later. I don't know. We can we can uh, just leave Either it Either way, in. it's a funny line. Yeah, yeah, it is a funny line. Um, another uh, uh, big hit that came out uh, was In the Line of Fire. Love this movie. Yes. This is the f- my first introduction to John Malkovich, yeah, even though he'd too. had a pretty long career at this point. But this was his biggest showiest role I think he ever had. And I think this is what took him off into like, you know, otherworldly status because now everybody knew who he was. But he is a creepy bastard. He is of- so creepy. Yeah. He's ahead of him at every step. It's it's the the phone stalkerish thing that, yeah. that had been done before, but I don't think this well. The retired cop who plays the piano and all that stuff. Mm. Rene Russo turning in a really good performance. <laughs> and no, Malkovich, man, just seethes every time yeah. he, he gets on the screen. Well, this is the perfect great. age for Eastwood to make this movie because he's yeah. believable as a guy who's a little too old, but mm. he's not so old that he's not believable as a guy who's a little too old. And <laughs> I may have mentioned this in a previous podcast. One of the biggest laughs I've ever had in a movie was from this movie when he and Rene Russo go into the hotel room to have sex. And we pan across the floor as their articles of clothing are falling off all over the floor. And they get into bed and start canoodling and their boss calls and they have to go do like secret service work. (laughs) She gets up and it pans over Clint Eastwood. He goes, I got to put all that shit back on. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's the kind of line that only Eastwood could give the perfect delivery to. I I also love the scene where he's just he's sitting there at the Lincoln Memorial and he wants Renee Russo to look back at him. And because that oh, proves yeah. <laughs> that proves she likes him and everything, is it? Like, Come on now, look back, turn around, look at me. And she doesn't. She doesn't look like she's going to do it. And then finally, she gives that winning turn and <laughs> smile, and he just says these lights up afterwards. You know, um, but this is this is just good stuff. I mean, it, you know, you put a character in this. He he failed at the JFK assassination, and now he's in this. He's in this situation where there's a crazy guy after him and everything. And uh, yeah, he does really good in this. We talked about what's eating Gilbert Grape and DiCaprio, but uh, this boy's life also came yep. out this year. Yes, it did. Um, Whereas DiCaprio is this, you feel so bad for this poor fucker by the end of this movie. <laughs> um, he's basically, we see another in a long line of shitty stepdads. And this time it's Robert De Niro. Yep. <laughs> and he's abusive mm-hmm. in about every way you can be abusive, emotionally, mm-hmm. physically. Um, and uh, it's tough to watch, but it's very good acting work mm-hmm. by both of those guys. Uh, I just saw it like a couple weeks ago, actually. It was on TV and uh, reminded me how good it was. Yeah. Um, another, here, you want to talk about getting into some sleaze here, Indecent Proposal came out <laughs> in 1999. Uh, that was a controversial movie when it came yes, out. Yes, it yeah. was. And uh, SNL did this sketch. Where, where Boris Yeltsin 
<laughs> like Bill Clinton makes an indecent proposal of Boris Yeltsin, and she says to her, his wife says to her, it's, "That's not my heart. It's just my vagina." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, we had uh, we have we have Robert Redford here uh, giving a you know I'll I'll uh, you know give Woody Harrelson a million dollars to spend one night with your wife who's Demi Moore who's as big of a star as you can be mm-hmm. at this point uh I, it, it's just uh it, it's i guess it's an interesting scenario it's not something that's likely to come up but it does i think get couples kind of thinking and talking right like kind maybe of, a little bit i don't know like would i do that i don't know what is anybody gonna offer me a million dollars i'm not <laughs> sure um but yeah. uh but like uh it's what's funny about this is that uh later on they parodied this in kingpin and Woody Harrelson's in Kingpin, <laughs> yeah. and Chris Elliott comes up to him and, sa- and says, I'd give a million dollars to spend one night with Randy Quaid, basically. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and he has the little dream sequence where he's like throwing cash up in the air and everything. And Quaid's like in the corner and just like shaking. But it's just a dream sequence. Um, anyway, yeah, there's there's the sleaze for you. Also, 1993, Cliffhanger came out. Another yeah. Stallone movie. Stallone had two... Like I think Demolition Man made money. I think they were both, you know, successes in that sense. Yeah, although Cliffhanger is another part of that Sony hit and run book that I always talk about, where they gave him twenty million to make that, and the mo- and and the movie made eighty four million domestic. I <laughs> bet it wasn't a big, huge uh, in the black for Sony, but Cliffhanger is a pretty ridiculous action movie. But it was, uh, you know, top ten uh, box office hit. Anyway, go on. Um, I gotta remind everybody how much I love Heart and Souls, Robert Downey Jr. (laughs) Adorable little supernatural romantic comedy, Elizabeth Shue, great cast, Uh, please watch it. This is one I give a two thumbs up to, to the listeners. I think you'll have a good time. Um, also, a really well done children's movie here, family movie, that, uh, you don't get to see this very often. The Secret Garden came out in 1993. Yeah, that's great. Uh, this is a fantastic movie. And then later on, uh, you'd get Alfonso Cuaron do uh, The Little Princess was mm-hmm. kind of in the same sort of uh, zone. Uh, you don't get these movies anymore. The only other family movies now are either going to be animated or they'll be just some, you know, just crap or whatever. This is a really well-made movie. It is. Like, like they really went all out on it and it's just a beautiful movie to watch um but if yeah if you're interested in just like just a good solid family movie the secret garden is one of the best ones um and, and until you said the title i thought you were going to go to homeward bound the incredible yeah. journey yeah which joke all you want that's a quality film and got a michael j fox and sally field as voices um, and I tricked my wife the other day by telling her it was based on a true story. And she, she said, really? And I said, well, in real life, the animals couldn't talk. <laughs> she smacked me on my arm. Uh, but if you haven't seen that, I would I would recommend it. I like yeah, that movie. It's a good one. It's about you know three pets that get lost when the family moves and they have to make their way across the country to find their way back. And uh, you know, it's for kids and family. It's not going to. Yeah. Anyway, I like it. Um, another big movie, uh, as far as Oscars were concerned, The Piano came out in 1983. Yeah. Holly Hunter won her first Oscar, very deservedly Anna so. Paquin. Yeah, and Anna Paquin, who was all of nine or ten or whatever, mm-hmm. made, won an Oscar. And if you want to see something funny, go to YouTube and look at her acceptance speech yeah. because it is the it is just it's exactly what a kid 
being thrust into the spotlight would do when they are presented with an Oscar about as big as she is. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously. And, uh, but, uh, but it's just, uh, but the piano is a is a really good movie. It's an unusual movie, though. It's just, and I thought that Jane Campion was going to be our one of our next big uh, all time directors after this movie. But then she kind of fell off the wayside. Didn't make anything after that that really connected. I don't think. But uh, um, yeah, piano is an interesting. Shout movie. out to one of the most Nashville movies you'll see, uh, <laughs> a thing called Love. Yes, <laughs> one yes, of, one of River Phoenix's final performances. Yeah. Samantha Mathis is in it. It's about a bunch of one uh, trying to succeed country music singers and songwriters. Uh, but that there's so much Nashville in that movie. It's not even funny. Yeah. One of the main set pieces is the Bluebird Cafe, Bluebird. Uh, which to this day still has songwriters nights. Yeah. Um, and uh, I enjoy watching it. And I think it might just be that Nashville connection because I don't think the movie's all that good. Yeah, but it there is something about it other than the Nashville, though. Like, I, I think. Yeah, I think like so. I think I'm more drawn to it because of that. But there is it's it's one of those just kind of intimate type of movies. You know, it's not loud or anything it's just kind of oh, you just kind of pursuing your dreams and you know it's not offensive i guess it's not super offensive also sandra bullock's in this too oh yeah you're right i forgot about that and um, they also rip off kermit the frogs the frog is staying they go on the <laughs> roof of the hospital and yell we're here in nashville i'm not leaving <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> uh i guess at this point we're going to be starting to talk about just just making mentions of movies. yeah batman mask of the phantasm which is a very good batman mm, uh, movie but a good animated movie um came out in this year um i, I just want to mention just because super mario brothers came out in 1993 just not a good movie at all but uh boy has it found some audience since uh for some reason i will i I will (laughs) it's just one of those movies man (laughs) is is like it's so terrible that it has got an audience now yeah um hard target came out in 1993 this is john woo's introduction to american audiences and uh if you uh, this is not the best john woo movie by any stretch but it is a very good action movie. Like mm-hmm. even even though he's stuck with Jean Claude Van Damme and this and everything, uh, this is it's actually fairly solid solid movie because John Woo is pretty good on this. So, um, what else on here? Let me mention one thing because this is an underrated soundtrack for Last Action Hero. Yes, <laughs> it's a terrible movie. Yes, it it's is. a super terrible movie, but the soundtrack is fun. Yeah. <laughs> if you want to listen to really good Def Leppard, check out Two Steps Behind, which is like an acoustic ballad by them, and it's really, really good. All There's right. some Alice in Chains on there, some Cypress Hill, yeah. and Megadeth. I used to listen to the soundtrack all yeah. the time. It's a really good 90s like hard rock and soundtrack. Like I said, this was the movie that opened when I first worked at a movie theater, and it's definitely definitely not good at all uh but uh there's some interesting uh like charles dance is the main bad guy in it you know later on to play uh tywin lannister you know it's it's one of the more notorious bombs of of that whole era because they spent a ton making that well and this is the this is one uh this is also in the sony hit and run book this is a movie where they actually paid i'm trying to think did they shoot a rocket into space with last action hero on it there was something like that it was something like a rocket or some like expensive ass plane or whatever just to have that one day where they said hey the thing with last action hero got shot into space and that was it that's how they were wasting money back in the day that's awesome um uh, also, uh, Hot Shots Part Two yeah. came out which is on continues in the ridiculous I love this this is one of the last 
uh, uh, spoof parody movies that's actually very good. Um, I mean, Charlie Sheen gets jacked yeah, for this movie. Yeah, I think, and I don't know if it's him completely jacked or if it's just makeup or what. No, I can't no, remember. No, I, no, I think he he actually like he so? got buffed out for this. Yeah, uh, but uh, you know, I mean, it's a silly comedy. I've always got to recommend those. Um, and then is there anything? The Man Without a Face, Mel Gibson, Dragon, right. the Bruce Lee story, mm-hmm. um, Shortcuts, Robert Altman. Yep. Uh, this is a, that's a movie that. Uh, came after the player and it was i thought it was really good it was a little bit too long but yeah uh but shortcuts is something point of no return we mentioned that before and in, in reference to la femme nikita cool runnings uh we cool runnings came out yep that's another movie that's got a huge uh, following these days <laughs> three Wayne, musketeers three musketeers another one that has a soundtrack to it <laughs> oh uh, it's got the all for one song with yes, rod stewart sting and Let's brian adams this is like this is like the the brat pack though right like let's let's have another moment of resurgence yes. because you've got like Kiefer's in this yep. and charlie sheen's in yep. this um I oliver platt oliver platt <laughs> worst part of the brat pack um yeah i i don't think that movie's any good at all no uh wayne's world 2 also wayne's came world out two. um and uh, <laughs> oh yeah a bad retread jason goes to hell the final friday where at the end of the movie freddy krueger's a claws come up and drag him down into hell and everybody was like fuck yeah man freddy versus jason is coming right around the corner in 2003 <laughs> yeah it took like 10 <laughs> years or so for the movie come out um another one uh, i'll mention real quickly um the vanishing have you guys ever seen the vanishing yeah, yeah. this is a kiefer this is a kiefer, yeah, yeah this is kiefer and sandra, sandra bullock, bullock. And, and nancy travis and jeff bridges yeah and jeff bridges in a great performance mm-hmm. um this is a remake and uh i watched it uh in theaters i really like this this is like uh i mean it's not you know it's not great by any means but it's kind of keeps you going like what's going on what is he gonna do is he gonna die too blah 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 yep. it's uh it's really good um and i think that might be it so let's 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 uh let's vote on this certainly think we can vote now yeah yeah all right so the order today is jeremy chris and barrett okay all right well i'm going with schindler's list okay all Um, right it is as fine a piece of filmmaking as you're likely to ever see uh but it had a cultural impact i would argue even bigger than jurassic parks um yeah i saw this movie in 93 i'm how old am i 18 I have never seen anything like this. I've read about the Holocaust in a book in school. Mm. Maybe saw a film strip or twice. Uh, This movie completely opened my eyes to exactly how horrific and real this whole thing was. And I think it did that for millions of people. And there's not a bad performance. The score is all-time great uh i can't give it to any other movie than schindler's list and uh i'm sorry jurassic park yeah he had to go there to really open people's eyes yeah like he had to go that that far absolutely absolutely same worked. with the same he'll do the same thing on a different topic later when we get that normandy beach scene in saving yeah. private ryan um this is a tough one mainly because i've seen three or four of these movies that i would i would put on my list or whatever i've seen those movies way more than i have seen schindler's list but uh i'm gonna have to go with you on that too schindler's list is probably the best movie on this on this list by you don't count barrett by (laughs) by far i mean i don't i i uh yeah there's nothing you can say negative about it at all i mean it's a it's a three-hour movie that um while i wouldn't say 
would you call this movie entertaining? It's got entertaining parts in it, right? It's not. I mean, what do you? I don't know do you, what you'd call. How this do you movie. call Schindler? What do you call Schindler? Schindler's List has got a quotable script. It's got fun performance. There's there's like actual funny moments in it. There are. Um, and it, it, you know, I mean, there's not really any time wasted in a three hour movie about this, and with the performances and everything like that, I can't pick against it. I mean, I I sit there and I'm thinking. Do I pick Jurassic Park over Schindler's List? You no, know, I can't do that. Yeah, so, I, I wouldn't blame you if you did. Yeah, I, I waffled back and forth between. They're they're both, in my opinion, almost perfect. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're they're trying to be completely different things. And Jurassic Park, as an action film, has had a huge cultural impact on the movies that have come since. Uh, but I just think the greatness. Uh, and the importance of Schindler's List vaults it over the other one. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm not going to vote against it. It's mm-hmm. so powerful that, I mean, that's it's just an overwhelming phenomenon that, again, awoke people to to this sort of tragedy. So you can't pick against it. So it's perfectly done. It's we expert. agree with the Academy, and we're unanimous. Yeah. Which are. is pretty rare these days. Yep, yep. Um, um, so so I'm going to say, I'm, yeah, I, I was going to say Schindler's List is the winner, but I do not think we'll have happy cheering uh, over this. Yeah, like polite golf claps. Maybe yeah. so. Uh, yeah. Like, uh, yeah. Uh, so, I mean, yeah. I mean, you can't pick it. But it's still great. It's still great cinema. No. And so we're, yeah. Yeah. All right. So uh, now we're uh, going to be talking to Aaron Sims. Can I talk to you? I'd like to ask you a few questions. I need to borrow some clothes for the interviews because I don't have any fancy clothes. This is Aaron Sims. He is uh, on the IMDb with about 200 so credits. It's 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 something like that, right? Yeah, there's a there's a lot of credits. I haven't really counted them, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's a it's a, an intimidating amount of credits, actually. Um, but. Uh, for what I can see, uh, for the most part, you have you're a concept artist is the is the main is the main thing. But you've done everything. You've done visual effects, special effects, makeup. You've done it all. Uh, but yeah. maybe you can tell us exactly what you do and what's mainly your job. Yeah, right now, uh, like you said, I have done quite a bit in the industry from makeup effects, design, um, visual effects, directed, produced. Uh, a little bit of everything. Right now, my company, I, I'm the founder of uh, the Aaron Sims Creative, which is a company of a, a bunch of artists. Um, we're mainly a design company, uh, designing for TV, uh, video games, and film. Um, and we also do visual effects. So uh, we're kind of, uh, the visual effects component has been a newer component, even though I've done it in the past. But for our company, it's actually a newer p- part that we've been uh, growing uh, with uh, you know a new department that's focusing from the all the design from the very beginning of a project all the way to finishing uh, in post to the mm-hmm. final visual effects and that's that's kind of a dream uh, of mine because you know since I was uh, in the industry since the 80s 85 is when I started that's why there's probably so many credits mm-hmm. um, you know working with uh, you know legends like Rick Baker and Stan Winston oh yeah you know I, there's uh there's been uh you know uh, it's the industry's definitely changed and uh and so i've had to change with it so the company has evolved you know and that's the design aspect when i started my company in 2005 uh that's when i actually founded my company and it was just me working out of my place at the time i started getting a lot of calls this is uh, after working with stan winston rick baker i um i started my company just thinking you know i'll just I'll, i'm going to take a break from effects and just kind of be a designer you know, it was a time 
uh, in 2005, uh, especially in early 2000s, when makeup effects was still had a uh, somewhat of a, a hold on the industry a little bit, but visual effects was growing so quick that uh, as a designer, I had a unique um, ability to be able to come up with uh, or actually help the studio figure out if it was going to be makeup effects or visual effects without hiring either one of those companies first oh, yeah. um, at, at the very early stages of uh, the filmmaking process, which started with sometimes with just a concept or, uh, or a script, you know, and that was where we, you know, I, I realized that this is this, I, I am in a unique time where uh, this is a demand that was needed for the industry um, opposed to, a lot of times when you get a script, you'll you'll read it and you go, well, this could be a guy in a suit. This could be a visual effect. But why, you know, hire um, either one of those companies from the studio's point of view? Why do that now until we know what the look of, or what it is and we're all signed off on that? Then we kind of kind of figure out, is this a guy in a suit? Is this a makeup or is this visual effects? So I had a unique um, in and uh, and uh, job that, that uh, to help the studio try to figure that out before they they decided which direction they were going to go, which also changed sometimes the budget. You know, once they decide, oh, this has got to be visual effects is when yeah, we love sure. the design. That, <laughs> yeah. yeah. But uh, so you you alluded to the changes and you've alluded to, uh, you, you know, having credits all the way back in the 80s. And one of the early ones that I noticed was Evil Dead 2. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. how was that? What was that like? Now that's, you're talking about the lowest budget of the low, right? You have to <laughs> figure out, you have to figure out a lot of things on the fly even, or what was that like? Yeah, that was, uh, that was, I was new to the industry, uh, in 85 and, um, it was exciting to work on anything. And, you know, Sam Raimi at the time wasn't really well known. He was, you know, it was evil dead, um, was, you know, kind of a, uh, it was a, um, it was a student film that he did. Yeah. Uh, so it was one of those that, that it got, you know, he was able to release it and, and it got a lot of attention. So when he, we did Evil Dead 2, um, I wasn't all that familiar with, you know, him or the property. And it was such a low budget that, um, that it was very challenging. I mean, at the, at the time, it, there was no visual effects. There was mm-hmm. really, um, uh, there was just, you know, the makeup effects and how do you make that work for these really demanding type of uh, things that Sam, Sam wanted. Uh, so that was, it was definitely interesting. It was a learning process for me since it was, I was new to the industry and, uh, new to makeup effects. And, uh, uh, but I enjoyed it. I thought it was, it was a lot of fun. I had no idea what the outcome was going to be because, you know, you're working on something at, you know, at, at a low budget like that. And also, you know, kind of a, an interesting wacky script that, uh, <laughs> that definitely. It, was, it was, it was hard to tell that it was, was this going to be a success or not? And it's amazing looking back. It's like, how that was it's such a cult classic now yeah uh, yeah it really is know. i had uh, i watched a, a little documentary on the making of with the special effects and and you're like briefly mentioned in that one that you know it shows your <laughs> picture or whatever but but it looks like everybody's having a blast on that like uh oh, yeah it it feels like a, a a sort of a time that i would you would you want to go back to that time or do you prefer the way things are now well i actually i love Actually, I love every experience I've ever had in the industry from the from the day I started to now. I, it has changed quite a bit, and there was a u- unique aspect of that time where there wasn't. It was a very naive uh, way of like working too. It's you know there was this idea, especially on films like that, where you could actually just experiment, and you don't know what the outcome's going to be, but you know it's going to be fun, and you're and everybody's having a great time. We were working. Mark Showstrom was the one running that that show. Uh, uh, in Pasadena and, uh, we were, 
we were all having a blast. I mean, we come in and it was, you know, a great group of people, you know, a lot of them, uh, Greg Nicotero and, uh, you know, Bob Kurtzman and Howard Berger now, which created, you know, uh, KMB, which are extremely a talented group of people. Yeah. Uh, they were, there was like, you know, one of their, their first projects that we were all working together and we all had such a blast. I mean, it was, it was, it was like, it was coming in and it was not like a job at all. Uh, that's, (laughs) that's at that time, especially it was like, I go, how can I, how can I imagine that this is, this is a, a career here because this is, this is like play, you know, you're out, everybody's, <laughs> yeah. everybody's goofing off. We're making monsters and we're getting paid and we're, you know, having a good time and, and no one's telling us that we're doing anything wrong, which is great. So <laughs> it was a, it was a great time. It's, you know, for me to think uh, back and go, I'd like to revisit that and kind of that time be now. Actually, I, I, I actually liked where, where the industry's gone to some extent. Mm-hmm. There's some problems with it, but uh, for me, it's, it's, it's allowed me right now to be somewhat like it was in the eighties. Uh, like a Mark Showstrom or anybody that, or even a Rick Baker or anyone that's starting off, you know, creating uh, something that that uh, you could do out of your house, your garage, or whatever. Uh, make uh, visual effects has become that now that makeup effects was in the '80s. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of an interesting. It's a little. It's a bit more technical. It's not as like organic and you know playing around with clay and uh, and uh, you know glue and everything else. It's mm-hmm. like it's a, and uh, some things actually I prefer because of the fact that. When I think of the years, almost uh, 25 years of doing makeup effects and dealing with those chemicals, I have no idea. <laughs> I'm still I'm still waiting for my doctor to tell me it's like, hey, there's there's this amazing thing that's growing inside your body, and I, <laughs> <laughs> and I have no idea what it is. I feel like uh, people in your line of work have long been overlooked by the masses who go to watch the movies. You guys have long been treated like the offensive line on a football team, right? And the yeah. only time the public gets, you know, to talk about you is if they think you screwed up really bad. But if you're doing your job well, nobody really stops to think about the effects artist. But I feel like that we may be on the cusp of a, an educational time where that may change, right? Because they have that reality show where people are doing makeup effects. And yeah. there's these Game of Thrones videos every year that show the side-by-side pre and post visual effects. And I feel like much the way DVD extras did that this new media is helping the general public to understand better your role as artists. But I'm curious what you as a visual effects artist think of your place in the world right now and how you're viewed. Oh, no, I I, I completely agree that we have for the longest time been kind of overlooked. You know, there's, you know, there's awards here and there, but the general public really doesn't uh, and the showgoer uh, doesn't really appreciate what goes into it. But in a lot of ways, it's, you know, it's 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 sometimes um, uh, a, uh, you know, a pleasure uh, knowing that you you've did something so good that people don't notice it. Yeah. You know, the, the fact that it doesn't stand out is like, oh, that's because it, it does stand out like when it's really bad, when it's a lot of the stuff like especially matte paintings or uh, character work that's so subtle that, uh, you know, you have to do these like call outs like they did in Game of Thrones where uh, really educate a lot of people that like well, a lot of work went into these shots that you may have thought they found someplace, you know, somewhere in Europe or wherever and shot this. But no, this is, you know, all created from, you know, genius uh, minds that kind of came together and created magic. Uh, and I think that really taking advantage of the Internet and, and any uh, all these. I mean, we're trying to do it here. We just I have a team at my own company where we have a branding company that and social media, which I'm not that great at social media. I wish I was better. Um, at it, but I, it's, it's, I guess it's a generational thing that I just haven't embraced 
So, uh, so I, I have someone that that's helping with that process. So we're developing in, in house, like those kind of things too, where it's every show we work on, we do kind of those, uh, how to before and after. So you see all the work that went into it and put it out there on, uh, Instagram and uh, Facebook and everywhere else. And it starts, and it's amazing how many hits those particular ones get over the concept work that we do. Oh, wow. It's, it's the visual effects, how to that people really are fascinated with. Well, um, and there's and, a, you can do it yourself. Like you were saying, you can do it in your garage now, right? If you can get the right equipment, technology, um, I think it's become accessible to like millions of people that it wasn't accessible to when I was growing up. I would never have thought I'm going to become an effects artist because I didn't, I didn't have any, any of the tools around me to even experiment. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it has changed quite a bit. And I think that, you know, the cost of, uh, of the uh, software has gone way down. I mean, when it started, it was like, for a lot of the software was over a hundred thousand dollars for one seat of, uh, of like one of the, you know, what, whatever it was at the time, like soft homage, you know, or power animator, all these that, that they used in Jurassic park. Um, they, they were extremely expensive softwares cause they were so specialized. Now there's uh, all these softwares that are almost freebie softwares from certain companies that are competing. Um, I mean, we still use like Maya, uh, some of the major ones, uh, in house, but the cost of them, and they've actually been smart. They do a prescription based, scenario where you just you you pay very little uh you know um uh, just online you know you just pay it monthly opposed to a big sum of money so for someone that's just starting out especially the ones that want to go illegal and don't you know go pirate because that's <laughs> unfortunately too easy too and a lot of people you know learn that way but it's not a way to definitely go uh professional it's right you know um but i think that that the software companies have made it easier for people too so that's what's that's great too because you have this access to un you know, there's YouTube, any type of like uh, tutorial of like, how do I do this? You can find it on YouTube. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I think that's something that didn't exist before. And I think that all of this has made it easier for people to do at home. And again, the fact that the computers have and technology has grown so fast that uh, that, uh, you know, a, a laptop, you can you can do so much. You can do an entire visual effect on a laptop that was unheard of, like, you know, just five years ago. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry to keep hogging the questions, but I want one follow up if you don't mind. Do you oh, see yeah, of um, do you see a greater influx of new talent uh, entering the field in your in your line of work? Is there enough talent to keep up with the demand? Is the demand outpacing the talent? I would have to guess that there are by huge percentages more people uh, pursuing this line of work than ever. Oh, there are. I think it's that's that's what's amazing about this time right now. Why I think it's exciting is that there's so many outlets for people to show their work, you know, online and uh, be picked up by, you know, big houses or small houses or, um, and that there wasn't a, a before. I mean, you had to have a, a special meeting, you know, show your portfolio. Now it's, it's, uh, there's this ability to show your work on, uh, on websites, blogs, anywhere. And people, you know, recognize that and they, you know, they get jobs. And, and so there is uh, this, uh, an amount of growth in both, I think, the industry because of uh, what Netflix has done, a lot of these other, you know, not just film, but t TV has grown in so many ways, Yeah, you know, in different ways, uh, not just networks, but, you know, all these different like Amazon, uh, Netflix, uh, Hulu, all these have their own, they have their own uh, media that they're creating. And it allows for uh, so many people to grow in those areas, not just film. And film has not only become bigger outside of, you know, uh, um, Hollywood, it's just, it's global. And it really... That's a, that's a bigger, newer thing that's actually happened over the last, you know, several years is that how global it's become. And part of the, 
the reason is because of these incentives that have happened, you know, where you, you move, it's, it's, uh, you, you have these tax incentives around the world. So Hollywood goes there to save money, but that also grows the, um, uh, you know, an industry within that community. And that continues to grow to where they realize it's like in China is becoming a big area where they, they realize that, you know, these, these big, big blockbusters that, that are done in Hollywood can make them a lot of money. If they make them there, they can make even more money. So they're growing uh, quicker than ever. And we get calls from, you know, China all around the world that I never thought would ever happen. You know, it's this many, uh, this, this much work that's available, but also the talent is growing. So it's, it's kind of interesting to see where it's going and how many, you know, uh, it's obviously there's a competition, you know, uh, there's probably more, more people looking for the work than there is the work. Uh, but I think that, again, that's, that's constantly growing. There's so many different resources right. with virtual, re virtual reality needing content. You know, there's, it's, it's kind of endless where the future of uh, visual effects and uh, artists can, can uh, show their outlet and, and have jobs. You know, so it's, uh, it's, it's a great, great time, I think, for, for the industry in that way. Cool. You've uh, you've already alluded to Stan Weston and Rick Baker. So, do you have any stories about working with those guys? That anything they taught you? Um, anything that's just? Uh, I mean, what kind We're of huge Stan Winston fans? Yeah, uh, and and I we just wanted to know if there was you know anything in particular they gave you in your as you started working your way up. Oh yeah, no, they were both Rick Baker. You know, I started with Rick Baker um, in the late eighties, uh, and. Uh, and, you know, worked on Men in, Men in Black and a bunch of other projects with him. And uh, he's just such an incredible artist. I mean, you know, I was there for 12 years and uh, and started off as just a painter for him, painting Gremlins. That was the first project <laughs> I ever done. It was, nice. it, was, well, it, was, it was Gremlins 2, actually. <laughs> and we worked on that for two years. And it was like my first, like, oh, here's a big, that was my real first big film to work on and work with Rick Baker. So it was like such a pleasure to be able to work with someone that has, you know, such an incredible history and he's incredibly talented and such a great mentor, you know, on uh, showing like how his, you know, what, you know, how the industry works, but also how, you know, artists need to look at uh, their work and what's important to look at as you, as you're focusing on certain uh, aspects of what you're creating. He was, he was incredible in that way. And, uh, and Rick, you know, I was a big fan of both Stan Winston and Rick, but you know, Rick was the only one I, when I saw American Werewolf in London as a kid. Oh, yeah. I was like, I was just blown away. I mean, that that transformation of David Naughton and pure daylight or in the <laughs> in the room was actually at night, but it was like a, a fully lit room. Uh, you know, I thought it was such a an achievement. You yeah. know, especially for makeup effects to be able to take it that far. Uh, and um, yeah, so I mean, he's he was just he was someone uh, you know an icon that I really you know was had such a pleasure working with and learning from especially on the creative side he's he's such a creative genius uh and what's great you know rick is is one of those guys that does a lot of the work mm -hmm. you know he actually had hands on like it didn't matter if there was he had a crew of like 100 or 200 he still did a lot of the work himself That's awesome. which was uh, which was amazing and then i left you know uh rick's uh it was around 2000 went to stands and uh that's when i actually at that point I had already fallen in love with the, the digital world. You know, mm -hmm. I kind of, at that point in my career, I was like, I had already made up, like I have done everything I felt uh, working for Rick Baker and, and uh, you know, all the different, you know, things we could achieve with silicone to anything. I thought there's got to be something more than just 
just this. It's I love makeup effects. I think it's amazing. It's the physical aspect of it is you can't uh, replicate in any way digitally. But I think that there's a uh, something I was needing more. I I actually I as an artist I like to grow and I actually like challenges. And so when I saw Jurassic Park in the uh, the 90s, I thought, okay, this is something that is exciting to me. And it terrified all my other colleagues and everybody <laughs> like all the make. Every makeup effects person, I think, was like, oh, my God, this is the end of us. <laughs> and I, I, I looked at it in a different light. You know, I looked at it thinking, no, this is exciting. This is a, this is a, these are new challenges for us. This is a, a new thing we can actually all learn and be a part of. But no one else you know, that I knew at that time was really excited about it. I think they were terrified of that, you know, taking a job away. But I look at uh, and what I've done in my career, and I think that a lot of people have evolved in that. You know, Phil Tippett, I think, did an incredible job yeah. of from – stop motion to visual effects and creating his own mm -hmm. uh, company. Uh, I mean, he's such an incredible talent. Um, it's worked for him. And I think that it's worked for so many others. Um, I, so at that point I was, I had already made a decision myself that I was focusing less on makeup effects and more on visual effects. And, uh, and Rick had taken a little break, um, you know, around 2000. Uh, uh, he was just, you know, just, it was a time and we had been there for so many years, 12 years I was there and I was thinking, oh, this is a good time for me to just kind of change. Like, you know, may I'll go off on my own and do something. But I got a call from Stan Winston himself saying, hey, uh, um, you have a lot of friends over here that talk highly of you. I'd like to meet you. And so I met with him and uh, we talked about, I talked about my interest in visual effects. And he was like, well, this is amazing. I started Digital Domain with uh, James Cameron mm -hmm. and, you know, created that. And and uh, it's it's kind of a big thing over there. But I, I want something small in-house that, that we can do together you know, as a company and you, you sound like you're interested, let's talk about it. So we actually started to explore that together. Uh, but then he got this job, um, immediately, uh, a Steven Spielberg job, right. When I started, uh, called AI <laughs> and, and he was like, and we already had, we got the computers. I had my own room there and we had the computers to do, it was soft homage and we, um, you know, we're ready to, you know, I was ready to get into it and figure out how are we going to do visual effects? And he goes, well, I, I, before you get into all this, I want you to use these computers and the software to help design like these AI characters for Steven Spielberg's movie. And it was like, it was like, well, this this is not a a design program. This is a visual effect uh, animation program. And he goes, you'll figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> and you did. <laughs> yeah, it was interesting because it was one of the first times I, I was given a challenge by Stan, which is you know he's such an incredible talent himself, and he was uh, and such an incredible way of looking at the business. I think Stan and Rick both really elevated uh, the makeup effects industry in a way that uh, at that time, especially uh, that no one else did, you know, he, they, they both took it to a new level in different ways. Um, you know, Rick was really heavy on prosthetics and Stan Winston was really big on uh, making it even bigger with animatronics Yeah, and, uh, and did such a fabulous job with Jurassic Park and, you know, and, and this was a great opportunity for me to learn from, you know, another master um, and, uh, when he put me to that challenge, it was, it was scary, but it was because I, I had to prove myself, you know, but it was actually, I found really quick that the software actually lended itself to design, you know, really easy, especially for robots at that time, because, uh, it was, like create a hard surface for the AI. And then it was like, oh, I can just change this really quick and render it out. And I started experimenting with stuff. And I remember Stan coming in my room at the time, seeing, you know, wanting to see what I did and just, you know, jumping up and down because he was so excited. Was, oh God, this is, I didn't expect to see this. So it was like, after that point, I created my own pipeline there, designing, using these tools and uh, uh, 
designed, you know, quite a few of the AI characters for that movie um, because I started to create a library of pieces that I could actually interchange. And I was thinking to myself going, God, I wish I had that ability. And, you know, when I was younger, like makeup effects, if I could take a sculpture and kind of rearrange it, but you can't. <laughs> Aaron, you mentioned creature design. Obviously, you've worked on a lot of different and various projects. Is there something that you see in yourself from creature to creature? Is it similar to like a, a composer having a similar theme or kind of a, a style? You know, it's interesting. Uh, people have looked at, you know, some stuff I have created and said, oh, that looks like an Aaron Sims uh, design. Hmm. I I typically don't see it myself, but I guess a lot of people do. So I guess I do have uh, kind of an, an ingredient or something or a style that I put into it. Mm-hmm. It may be just, uh, you know, something that I uh, picked up years ago when I started uh, designing that I fell in love with and I can't break it, but I can't, I can't even identify with exactly what it is. But a lot of people say that that's, that's a Sims design. <laughs> so, so I hear it more from others than, than I witness it myself. So one thing that I would, I would say perfectly encapsulates it, and maybe I'm completely talking out of my ass here, but it, happens uh, sometimes. it sometimes happens, but uh, it seems, it seems to encapsulate both Winston and Baker is you are credited on rise of the planet of the apes and dawn of the planet of the apes uh, movies that I think the special effects are amazing on. Yeah. How much of that is, did I just say something out of my ass that wasn't true there? <laughs> because those oh, are, no. those look like that, that's, that looks like makeup, even though it's digital to me. Mm. Well, that's what's exciting. Like, I am, I completely agree with you. I think that, so you weren't speaking out of your ass. I thought, I, I agree with you there. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> no, I, I, I think many people do too, because I, this is one of those films, like Planet of the Apes when I was a kid was one of my favorite films, the Charlton Heston one. Mm-hmm. I just remember being amazed uh, of just, you know, these, the apes. And I remember being in elementary school, my older brother and sister would just make fun of me because I'd walk around like Cornelius you know, with a little <laughs> and everything like that. Yeah. I was so in love, so in love with that, that, uh, uh, that film, uh, that I, cause it was just fascinating to me. I thought there was a humanity, um, that came through the apes and it was all done in prosthetics, but that's, what's amazing being able to see it then. And now where we're at with, uh, the, vis- the visual effects where we've taken something that, that you can't do as a makeup effect that, that literally could not be made as, as a guy in a suit. Cause, right. Um, it's taking uh, more chimp uh, and ape uh, anatomy and now giving it humanity on top of that. And I think that that was, uh, it was such an honor to be able to work on that, that film, the first one and all, and all the ones we've been working on all the eight films. There's a new one coming out next year. Can't wait. Yeah. And they're, they're just such a pleasure because one, I'm just such a huge fan and, uh, and uh, it's great also working with Weta, you know, we work yeah. closely with Weta as far as, as far as, uh, you know, the first I designed, we, uh, you know, I was looking at chimps. We were, this is, uh, it's interesting too, because it went through such an evolution. I think there was probably over a thousand designs for Caesar. Holy crap. And, uh, and, and a lot of it was because of the story was, and what you could do. It's one of those things that there's a, there's a, a plus and a minus to visual effects. And sometimes the minus is that you can do anything. So everybody wants to try everything. Uh, Opposed to like sometimes in the eighties and when you had limited uh, resources as you sometimes get a better product because you're forced into a box. Yeah. You know, the visual effects now is like, it's unlimited, especially showing what you can do for, you know, something as a primate that you, you believe and you feel for and you care about that is a CG character, which you would have never thought of like years ago. So it's, it's amazing how that's changed. And um, I'm just such a fan of, uh, of any, any character that you can, 
turn into a um, that's non-human and give it human emotion. I just think is such a such an ability. Yeah, and it's not an easy it's not an easy task either. But when it's done, it's you know it's it's such a pleasure to look at we're, and, um, and feel for. Yeah, we're big fans of Andy Circus um, for good reason. Um, but uh, I think his performances are so good it sometimes overlooks the effects artists who do a lot of the work yeah. in this art. Uh, but I'm curious if you think we're getting to a point where uh, a mocap performance combined with a great digital effects team can begin to be recognized and win awards or be treated as, you know, like we always joke in our videos that Andy Serkis deserves about 12 Oscars for all his mocap performances over the oh, years. Yeah. Um, do you think we're going to get to a point there where, where we can actually see something like that happen? I do. I, I actually think that... There's enough uh, awareness, you know, even public awareness. I mean, what's interesting about like Andy Serkis is the general public know who he is, you know, and he's always hidden behind like this uh, digital character like Gollum or uh, or Caesar or any of these other ones he's, he's ever played that that really that he gets, you know, he's at least been made aware to the public. And I think after a while, people will appreciate it enough to where there will be, um, uh, you know, awards given. I think it, it, it wouldn't make sense that there. That there wouldn't, because these are this is a new type of performance, right? You know, it's it's taken a while because of, uh, you know, even the visual effects community doesn't really have a proper um, union that really protects them from a lot of uh, elements that used to happen, you know, for a lot of other parts mm. of the industry. Um, so there's you, you so you hear about horror stories of like you know the, how, you know, visual effects houses go under. There's not that much protection, you know, on so many levels. And it's, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a weird time because of that. But I do think that there is a bit more awareness being made for the artists that are being, that are doing the work as well as the performers that used to be performers that would either be in a prosthetic. Right. Um, Cause in a lot of ways you, you look at it in a way that these performers uh, that would be in prosthetics would win Academy Awards for being a performer um, because they were, they were underneath the makeup. They right. were, they were, they were recognized. So what's the only difference right now, and that's where the fine line is, is that it's not just that particular uh, mocap. There is some artist involved. So that's going to be the tricky thing: is what is that award? How is it separated? Is it two separate sub awards that's you know given to the performer, um, and then a, a separate award for the visual effects achievement? Hmm. You know, so those are the. It's an interesting uh, thing, but I do think that I it will happen. And it's it's and it's well needed. I do think it will happen. Is there a is there a point where you feel like you absolutely failed on something, and it turned into a positive later? Like you did something that even it got on screen, and you're like, oh my god, I I can't I can't stand to watch this. And then later <laughs> on, you were like, you know what? Okay, I know how to do it better this time. Is there any? I'm sure you have plenty of stories like that, but can you think of any? Well, you know, there's there's several times when I'm working on something, especially this goes way back to makeup effects and uh, or even designing. You know, it's it's there's a lot of times where I really hate the, what I created, and then I, <laughs> then I see it on on film, and, and it works because the way the filmmakers and the editors and everybody put it together, mm. that it actually it worked, and and so that. That failing, uh, in a way, I I realized was you know just my own like insecurity on uh, <laughs> on what I was doing, um, but there is a lot of times that I've done you know where it's a it's a it's a hard thing not to um, get over, which is you know film you know when it's a very collaborative process working on a film. So you have the filmmaker, you have the director, you have uh, everybody that's involved, producers, creative producers too, that are making a lot of creative decisions, and then you have us that are creating it either from the design aspect 
or the visual effects. And we become very attached to what we create. So mm-hmm. when you come become attached, sometimes, you know, I'll even be, you know, might be vocal, like, but I'm not the filmmaker, I'm not the director. And, and so uh, a lot of times that's, that's my failing for not listening to them enough to where they, it's exactly what they want. Um, uh, and me just holding on to something that's more personal to myself. So those are, you know, I, I can't give you any uh, particular because I don't want to like say anything, uh, you know, about <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> any, any person or our project because that can always come back to haunt me. Mm. But as but on myself, as far as, uh, you know, again, I what I've learned from it is not to take anything too personal. You know, yeah. it's it, part of part of this you know, process. It is collaborative. And and there's things that I, you know, I fall in love with and no one uses. Mm-hmm. And But I. But what I've learned is like, you know, they didn't love it, but I'll use it somewhere else yeah. in the future. Yeah. Well, so we, we don't want you to mention the times where you felt like you didn't do your best. But what are some projects that you're really extremely proud of or some of your favorites uh, that, you, that you've been affiliated, that you've been collaborating with? Well, uh, Planet of the Apes that we said, that was mm-hmm. one of my favorites that I've, I've been, again, it's, it's, it's a childhood like uh, fantasy to be a part of something like that. That's, you know, that had such an influence on me as a child. Uh, but to be able to be, you know, uh, work on these films that are not only like they they look great, but they actually are good movies too. Yeah. You know, I think that those are uh, the Planet of the Apes series. I think are uh, are my favorite overall. Mm-hmm. Just not not only from my point of view of what we achieved uh, and working closely with Weta and what Weta has done is amazing. And again, Andy Circus. I think all of that combined is has to be one of my favorite things of all times um, uh, that I've ever worked on. There's other films like, you know, Men in Black. I, you know, when I was at Rick's, I really enjoyed working on that um, because at that time when I was at Rick's, we were working on a lot of other projects that were, that weren't uh, the genre that I love the most, which is sci-fi. I'm, mm-hmm. a, I'm, a, I'm a huge sci-fi fan. Mm. I love horror. I love, but there's, but uh, sci-fi is my favorite because it allows for me to be, uh, and, you know, just become as creative as I can possibly be. Um, and, uh, I ended up designing a lot of the worm, the worm guys that were in the film. I don't know, you know if you know what they <laughs> yeah. are, but, but those, and that was kind of an accident. So that was, that was a fun one because it was, uh, uh, it was one where, you know, I, I was helping design a lot of the characters with everybody there at Rick's and, uh, Rick said, Hey, go in this room and just draw a bunch of different, like, uh, aliens. I designed a bunch of different ones. He was like, ah, oh, that one looks all right. That one looks, this one's interesting. And it was one that was, it was a worm guys. They ended up being, but I always designed them and thought that of them as like eight feet tall. You know, they're, <laughs> and, and that's, I even did an illustration with them, you know, like the height and all that. And uh, Rick said, you know what, make a maquette. And a maquette is, uh, if you're not familiar with it, that's like a, a clay version, oh, okay. a, 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 like a clay miniature version of, of uh, what you're going to make. Um, and so I ended up doing a maquette of it and, uh, uh, and the director came in and just, you know, uh, walked around and looked at all the aliens. He looked at that when he, the worm guys that I, I did, and he goes, he goes, wait, this is amazing. Let's, I want to make a, a whole scene out of these guys. And it was like, and I go, and I started explaining what, how big they were. And they go, no, no, absolutely not. They're exactly that size. And that was, that was, yeah, that was exciting. And that, so, I mean, that was another film because it was, it was one I was working on that on every level, I was having a great time, uh, you know, with an incredible team over at Rick's and, you know, and the working on the film and then seeing it, you know, was, you know, it was, it was a fun movie. It was campy in it, but it, you know, it took that sci-fi element in, into a new level um, to where you could play with camp in the right way. And uh, so that was, that was another one that I really enjoyed. Um, 
You know, there's a, there's so many, but I don't, I don't think we have time for all. Of them. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, those, you chose perfectly on that story. Uh, um, I guess uh, some smaller ones that I've I've noticed. One interesting one uh, is that you were um, you were the creature creator of it, Stephen King's it. Oh yeah, and you were on the mini series. Now they've got they've tapped you to do the new one that's coming out next year, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's full. That's amazing. Full circle. Did they just um, just come to you because of the first movie, or was it kind of a uh, a coincidence, or what was it? it? It's actually more of a coincidence. Uh, you know, the one in the uh, '80s. It was, uh, and I was working for um, uh, this this group, and it was at uh, Fantasy Two in Pasadena. Is it Pasadena? God. Um, but it was uh, Gene Warren. Um, he had done a lot of the stop motion for uh, Terminator, the first Terminator, and mm. it was his facility. And they were doing a lot of optical effects. It was way back then before visual effects or digital effects. And uh, that project, it was a TV, it was, you know, it was, you know, a mini TV series. Yeah. And we, uh, and I was, I was mainly helping with uh, um, the, uh, the creature at the end, the spider. Oh, okay. He, you know, turns into. And I helped to, you know, here and there with some other stuff, but it was mainly that. And uh, so this new one was more, um, oh, I'm sorry. I was going to mention Bart Mixon. Bart Mixon is the guy that was running the show. Oh, okay. So. Uh, that's that's where I was uh, want to put a shout out for him. Bart Mix is an incredible, <laughs> incredible guy. He actually worked on RoboCop, uh, you know, and so he's 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 uh, he was a guy that I worked with almost right after uh, Mark Showstrom. You know, mm-hmm. went in with with him. I worked on a few shows like uh, Fright Night too, and a bunch of others. <laughs> yeah. Um, but as far as uh, it, yeah, the, it was just a coincidence. I worked with uh, the director for the new one. Uh, uh, Andy uh, Machetti, I think I'm pronouncing his wrong, his last name wrong, so <laughs> it's gonna be awful. But he's an incredible uh, talent that he did uh, Mama. That uh, yeah, oh, yeah, um, mm. yeah. And uh, he, we worked together on uh, it was a, a version of the Mummy over at Universal. Oh yeah, uh, yep. it's, it's not the one that's that's coming out now. It's another version. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we worked closely uh, on that, and I helped him design uh, where the Mummy was going, and uh, and then he he went on to this project it. And uh, he just brought me on board to help design Pennywise and a bunch of the other, uh, <laughs> you know, creatures and stuff. And and it's changed quite a bit. He has a makeup effects house in uh, in Spain that he worked with and mom on Mama that actually uh, is did the Pennywise design, you know, finished the design and actually executed it. And um, so it's been a little bit. I haven't really had that much uh, uh, time on it. I'm hoping that in post we'll come back and be able to help out on some of the effects. Yeah. But, uh, but, but you, it's not one of the. It's it's interesting because it's it's not a bigger but it's not a big budget. It's uh, it's a smaller budget film for what it is. I was mm-hmm. I was kind of surprised. So. Well, you must be pretty excited because once they showed the uh, clown, the Pennywise, the clown on the internet, everybody was like, "This is awesome." Yeah, it it it's it's a lot of fun. It was and it's again it was fun to work on and work with uh, and uh, and it's amazing that what the the weird thing about it is just that it's a full circle. It's like it's. You know, to work on shows and and also work on the remakes mm-hmm. means that I'm I'm really old. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you also another one. I know another show that people will be ex- excited to talk about is Stranger Things, which was a huge yeah. hit on Netflix and everything. Oh, yeah. uh, how, what what was your involvement with that? That was actually a lot of fun. Uh, the Duffers they had this idea that they were pitching around. They, Netflix picked it up. It was called Stranger Things. Right when they actually started uh, developing, they called me up and said, "Hey, I need you to help design our creature." Mm-hmm. Um, and at that point, uh, you know, I said, "I want to be more involved." You know, can I help with you know other aspects of it? We want to help with the visual effects and just kind of as much as we can be involved. And he goes, "Absolutely." So we we started off and we designed the kind of uh, upside down world. 
yeah. um, uh-huh. along with, along with uh, the creature. And, uh, you know, they were, they had, you know, such great ideas. I mean, it was such a, a fun one to, to, to be a part of, but also to watch. I mean, it's growing up in the eighties. It's great to see, you know, this almost nostalgic uh, feeling show. Yeah. That, yeah. That, definitely. That, that hits, it hits it right on the mark, you know, with, you know, the, the music they chose, the, <laughs> the direction, the, you know, the, the way the people looked, everything like, it's just, it was a, it was a fun one to work on. And, uh, the creature was a, a, a lot of fun too, because they basically came to me and said, Hey, we have this, this creature in it. And it's, we, the only thing that we know we, we, we don't want is a face. Yeah. We just wanted to have a, we just want a mouth. We just want a big mouth on it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, and that leaves it very open. I mean, you think of a creature that's humanoid, they, they basically say it's a humanoid creature, kind of skinny and lanky, but it's like, it's, it, it really has no face, just kind of a big mouth. Yeah. And, uh, so we started designing a bunch of different, like, uh, uh, creatures that, you know, that had like no face with, you know, weird malls and all this weird face, <laughs> you know, that would open up and, and they fell in love with, you know, almost the first pass, like one that looked like kind of this weird flower, like yeah. a face. Mm-hmm. And, uh, they said, Hey, this is interesting. This, this would be fun to explore. So we started going down that path mm-hmm. and, uh, and it started off the first design actually had it with the mouth open and they go, what does it look like with it all closed up? And it's amazing. Cause that actually became harder than, than <laughs> oh, I thought. Wow. <laughs> and it, was, it was designed with a mouth open opposed to the design, uh, with it closed and then trying to figure out how to open, which is actually great because then it's, it's, uh, you know, the end result of the most terrifying look it's going to have, um, which I kind of based it on the inside of a mouth of a snapping turtle. Yeah. Huh. <laughs> if you look at the inside of a snapping turtle's mouth, they have multiple layers of teeth that go all the way down the throat. Oh, and it's, wow. It's, ter- <laughs> uh, it's just Google like a snapping turtle's mouth and you'll go, whoa, that's, that's terrifying. <laughs> and, well, so we'll all have nightmares tonight. Thanks, yeah. Aaron. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah. you guys did a great job on that because that thing is a terrifying bastard. There's no <laughs> doubt about it. We ended up having such a good time and, and working, you know, uh, helping, uh, you know, the there was a makeup effects component to that, too. There was a guy in a suit for all, a few of those mm-hmm. shots. And then, and then we ended up doing all the visual effects in the end uh, on top of that. And then the the last episode. Uh, and I'm just hoping that they're going to pick up for the next season. I'm sure they will. They, they keep talking about it. Yeah. Um, they keep talking to us about it. So it's just, you know, they're in the, they're in the writing room right now. So it's they, that's that process. So that gets me excited. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yes. I have enjoyed this greatly. I don't want to take up too much of your time, but you're so freaking down to earth. And I love that you took the time to come on and talk to us and tell us some of these stories and answer our questions. And I'm going to be looking for your name in all the credits of all the things now. Me too. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> well, thanks guys. It's, it's been a pleasure. It's, uh, it's great to, to meet you guys and, um, and hopefully it's been an, uh, interesting for, uh, for oh, everybody. Yeah. And, Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Definitely. All right. Aaron well, Sims, guys. This was a great, uh, this was great. I'm excited. <laughs> all right. Guys, take care. All, all right. right. So, guys, that was an awesome interview, right? That was a pretty cool experience. Yeah. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> that was exciting. I, I didn't know exactly what to expect. And uh, I think I think that was uh, one of the best experiences I've ever had. Yeah. Yeah. In this whole thing that we've been doing for yeah. the past four years. Thanks again, Aaron. Yeah. yeah many, many thanks. Yeah. Um, but uh, that will be the Sincast for this week. Uh, this is Chris Atkins and Jeremy Scott and Barrett Share. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. Comment on our episodes on our SoundCloud page. Check us out on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, and Reddit. And be sure to visit cinemasins.com.
was just thinking of something else. I guess we could do that. Fuck it. We'll just, I'll just say Team America for everything. Yeah. You love that movie anyway, so. Fuck it. This is taking forever. <laughs> I didn't kill my wife. I don't care. Look at the size of that boy's head. Shh. I'm not kidding. It's like an orange on a toothpick. Nice work, Bone Daddy. What?